they just resonate with my heart. You know, my soul, my soul, my soul. What is your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Just get comforted in his presence and by his embrace. The words there, for I am yours and you are mine. Just something about that. That's a love song between us and God. Come on, can we just take a few more moments to just give ourselves to him right now? Come on, let our souls, come on, let him embrace our souls today. Come on, acknowledge that we are his and he is ours. And so, Father, we love and honor and adore you today, Father. We're so honored to be in union with you, to be one with the Father, one with the Son, one with the Holy Ghost. And so, Father, we glorify and magnify you today. We stand in your presence. We give all of ourselves to you because you are good. You are great. You are wonderful. And you are marvelous, Father. And as we've taken time today to just minister unto you, Father, first through praise, Father, just blessing you for what you've done, Father, and then through worship, Father, for just who, did, who you are, Father. The result of that is we've drawn closer to you. You've drawn closer to us. It is less of us and more of you. And so, Father, I declare that my heart is connected to my spirit. My tongue is connected to my spirit. And I speak forth today the oracles of God. You grant me the ability to do it with simplicity, Father. Let my preaching and teaching not be with enticing words of man's wisdom, but let it be by demonstration of your spirit and of your power so that the people won't stand in the wisdom of man, but they'll stand in the power of God. And my prayer, Father, is that lives will be changed today as a result of coming in contact with the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power, the anointing that's on your word. Have your way today, Father. Be glorified in this service. In Jesus' name, and everyone that agrees with that prayer, shout it. Amen. Love on one person a day. Speak life into them. Tell them God bless you. Let them know that you're happy to see them. Thank you, music department. And then once you're done, you can be seated. This is a great day. I want to say that one more time. This is a great day. This is a wonderful day. This is the day that the Lord has made. It's a day of opportunities, uh, where opportunities abound, opportunities galore. You know, there's really no other time in history when I'd rather be living than right now. I think we've got the greatest opportunities ever known to man just right out in front of us. All we've got to do is take advantage of those, okay? And so we had a great first service today, and I believe this one will be no different. And so before I tell you the title today, I just want to kind of bring you an awareness of really what's going on uh, just in Christian culture today. And so you've got a lot of debates going on about do I tithe, do I don't tithe. If you turn on Christian radio today, there are churches that are starting and, and part of their uh, slogan and marketing campaign is how would you like to go to a church where you don't have to tithe? Have you all ever heard any of those before where you don't have to dress and you don't have to, and you know, we get these questions, my wife and I, all the time now. Is, is tithing for today or did it, do we still have to do it? And so I just want to explain it to you this way before we get into the message today. The character of God is that he does not change. 
God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So God does not change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Matter of fact, the word tells us, he says, I am the Lord thy God, and I, I change not, right? And so, uh, really what you have, one of the first things Apostle Price, because uh, I'm sure he looked at me like I was like 20 years old, one of the first things he said, he said, well, lots of times young preachers, young ministers, where they mess up is that they don't teach the Scripture in the context and to the people in the group that it's actually talking to. And they kind of jumble it all together, Old Testament, New Testament, wrap it all up in one. And so let me kind of explain it to you this way. We know tithing was being done before the law was ever given, right? So we have what's called the Old Testament. The Old Testament is from Genesis all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the Old Testament is from Genesis to the book of John. And we see tithing in the Old Testament. I'm sorry, before the law was given, we know that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek before the law was ever given. Then we see tithing being instituted uh, in the Levitical priesthood after the law was given, and we see it all throughout that. The book of uh, uh, Malachi, we also see Jesus talking about it in the book of Matthew, Luke talking about it in the book of Luke. You'll see that uh, Jesus actually rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes. He called them hypocrites. He said, you pay tithes of Ammon, right, or Annan and of Myrrh, but you omit the weightier matters of the law like faith and righteousness. So he was commending them for tithing, but he was rebuking them for omitting the weightier matters, okay? Then you have what's called a transitional book, which is the book of Acts. So it's transitioning out of the Old Testament into the New Testament. It is the Acts of the Apostles, or it is the beginning or advent of the early church. And in the book of Acts, you will not see the word tithe one time. And so the church was birthed out of generous giving. Is everyone still with me? Church was birthed out of generous giving. So obviously we're being introduced. We're not doing away with something. We're being introduced something into something that is even greater than what we have been currently doing. Right? Because what makes the New Testament better is that it's based on better promises. Right? Is everyone still with me? Then the New Testament begins in the book of Romans. Right? From Romans to Revelations, we only see tithes mentioned one time in the book of Hebrews. And it's referenced there all the way back to when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, which was before the law was instituted. And we know that Melchizedek was a type and a shadow of things to come. He was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ because it said he lives forever, right? And so in that reference in Hebrews chapter 7, it says that when we tithe, here men that die receive them. But there he receives them, there being in heaven, he being Jesus, and we are witnessing that he lives forever. Is that accurate? But it's only that one text. So there are roughly about 30 references in the Old Testament about tithing, roughly about 30 that actually speak to tithes or tithing. But when you get to the book of Romans, and if you add Acts to that, if you get to the book of Romans and we're talking about the New Testament, there are over 50, close to 75 references on just giving and offerings and partnering. 
right? So then clearly there is something greater in addition to what we are already doing. Is everyone still with me? All right, so, so let's say it this way. Uh, when, when our kids were small, if someone has two tens, get two tens for me. Two $10 bills. If someone has two tens. I don't see anybody moving. If somebody has, <laughs> has two tens, get two tens for me. They're like, man, I ain't giving him my two tens. Somebody has two tens, get those for me. Two tens, two $10 bills. Let me get the two $10 bills, man. Stop being so tight, man. <laughs> That's just one. I need two $10 bills from the same person. Two $10 bills from the same person. Come on up here, young fella. Look at him, about 20 years old, ready to just. Thank you, young man. Two tens. Thank you so much, young man. Bless your heart. I receive it. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so when our kids were younger, we used to mess with them, right? And so we put like a bunch of bills in one hand. And then one bill in the other hand, right? And so which one would they think was the most money? The one with the most bills, right? But really, <laughs> the more money was over here. And so if you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus said these words exactly. He said, I did not come to do away with the old. He said, I came to fulfill it, right? And so if you look at the example, when the scribes and Pharisees came to him and they said, Jesus, which one is the, the greatest of all the commandments? Well, his response was a summary, and he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, all the commandments are wrapped up in those two. So he didn't do away with all of them. He put all of them in the two. Is everybody clear? Right? He simplified it. And so when they invented the $20 bill, what makes the $20 bill better is that the two tens are in it. Right, right. So they didn't do away with the two tens. They put the two tens in the 20. Is everybody clear? So that's all we're getting ready to talk to you about today. The Bible didn't do away with anything. It put it in something that is far greater for you. All right. Come on, get your two $10 back, okay? Come get your 10 Matter of fact, that's too much walking for him. Give him both of these 10s and that 20 since he was being a blessing today, okay? See, you didn't know. You didn't know that that was going to return back to you $20, did you? All right, so today we're going to talk about how or, or excel or excel in the grace of giving. Now, I've never taught this before in my life, although I've been practicing it for the last four years, four and a half years of my life. Because I wanted to prove it out. I mean, you know, when you learn something new, you want to first prove it out and gain conviction from it before you share it with other people. So I've been living it now for a little over four years. I want to share with you what the Holy Spirit has, has taught me. So if you look at the introduction, you can follow along. version Bible app. Go to the event section. Just click linked up church. The outline is right there. You can follow right along. In the introduction here I wrote, we are called to give generously and with joy. It is a joy to give. Help me out today. I said it is a complete, absolute joy to give. And it is. It is as a fruit of the Spirit's life within us. So this information will take us through the Apostle Paul's teaching 
on Christian giving and draw out principles which we can apply to our own situations, okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul is explaining arrangements for an offering from the Greek churches of Achaia and Macedonia for the impoverished churches of Judea. Paul did not see giving as a mundane matter. You ever notice in churches today, like, you know, the moment you give the title, and if it's about giving, everybody sink down in their seat. <laughs> Grab purses. All kind of stuff goes on. When you, if you say offering time, it's offering time, people get sad at that saying. Right? When they don't really understand, it's one of the greatest opportunities in life. It's not some mundane something we do in the service. It's actually a response to what's been done for us all week long. And it's such a joy to say how much we, and show how much we appreciate it. Okay, watch this. So it's not some mundane something uh, there that we do. It's something or something optional in our Christian walk. Quite the contrary, Paul saw the grace of giving as a core part of what it means to be a member of Christ's church. So he's going to show us how our regular giving is rooted in three central themes of the gospel. And we're going to see all three of these themes in two chapters, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And those themes are this. Number one, the grace of God. It's something about when you acknowledge how good God has been to you, and you know how good God has been to you, you cannot help but respond by being good to somebody else. It's a natural response. And when you receive and God has blessed you and you've been good, it's a natural response to want to share that with somebody else. Right? The second theme is the finished works of Christ. When you really realize all that was done for you on that cross, there's a natural response that comes from that where you want to be a blessing. And then the last one is the unity of the Spirit. Folks, when we all get this as a collective body of Christ, there's so much grace that's going to fall on this church that we will always have more resources than we will ever need to meet the needs of the people that God sends us. All right, let me try that one more time. Three central things. Number one is the grace of God. God has been good to you. God has been good to you. God has been really, really, really good to you. And there's a response that should naturally come from that. And when there's no response, it's because I don't believe he's done nothing for me. You're going to see that very clearly. The finished works of Christ. When I understand that every need that I will ever have, past, present, and future, has already been paid for and already been provided for, for me, there's a response that comes from that when I know that. Then there's a unity of the Spirit that when we all catch it, there's a great grace that falls on this church. And we get to meet the needs of an entire county because we're all unified in this effort. We're going to look at 10 principles Paul teaches about excelling in the grace of giving. All found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. We'll only cover two on today because I want to take my time 
and be thorough. So number one today, giving is an expression of the grace of God. Giving is an expression of the grace of God. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. I'm reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible. So giving is an expression of the grace of God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we, we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints or partnering. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. And as they said in the churches, old Baptist churches that I visited, uh, may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word for the edification, exhortation, and comfort of our souls. Were you edified? Were you exhorted? Were you comforted? Will somebody give the Lord a praise in this place? I just had a Baptist moment there for a moment. <laughs> now, let's go real slow here in verse 1, right? Because it's going to kind of set up everything else that we're going to talk about. You'll notice that Paul in verse 1 does not begin by referring to the generosity of the churches of Macedonia. That's not how he begins. He doesn't begin talking about their generosity. He begins talking about the generosity that God had bestowed on them. Everybody still with me? All right. So, he starts with the grace which God had given to the Macedonian churches. So, in this context, grace can be another word for generosity. So, the more grace a person has received, the more generous they are. Can you all see that? Right? If a person doesn't believe they received any grace, they usually don't give any. The way you can know how much grace a person has received is based off of how much grace do they give. All right, let's keep going. So Paul saw the generosity of God, our gracious God, as being a generous God. And a work of his people, of God's people, a grace and or a grace in the heart of God's people, or a work from God in the heart of his people, he saw that as a manifestation of his grace to be generous to people too. So if I can say it this way, the only way the world will know that God is generous is through our lives. There's no other way for them to know how generous he is if his work of grace is not happening in our heart and we're not generous to other people. Is everybody clear? Right? And so it is a work then of grace that takes place in our heart that the more of it we've re received from him, the more of it we should naturally want to share with other people. 
All right, now we're going to look at, well, the, great, the Greek word here for grace is charis. It's spelled C-H-A-R-I-S. And it literally means graciousness. It means liberality. It means divine influence upon the heart. It means benefit. It means favor. It means joy. And it means gratitude. When we get through with chapter 8 and 9, you're going to see all of that combined in different ways. It's going to show up in multiple different ways. This word appears 10 times, careers, in chapters 8 and chapter 9. So clearly then, he's trying to get a significant point across to us if he uses the same word 10 different times. Would everyone agree with that? All right, so let's start off by looking at verses 2 through 6, and let's look at how grace manifested, okay, from verses 2 through 6. Let's look at how this grace manifested in verses 2 through 6. First way that it manifested, number one, was in a great trial of affliction. I know we don't like hearing this, but the reality is if you live long enough, that word affliction means pressure, it means trouble, it means to be burdened. You are going to have some pressure, you are going to be troubled, and you are going to be burdened. But I've got good news for you. When you are at your lowest and when you are at your worst, grace is at its best. Come on, that's a good place for somebody to shout amen right there. So notice, it could have just said they were in a trial of affliction. But it said a great megas trial of affliction. Anybody ever been there before where you just, man, I'm in trouble? Am I the only one that's ever been there? I'm talking about where literally you cannot see how you're going to get out of this situation. Anyone ever been there before? He says that they are in a great trial of affliction. Then notice the second thing you see is an abundance of joy. Now, that's like an oxymoron there. Most people, when they are in a great trial of affliction, do not have an abundance of joy. Right? But it's something about when you know how big your God is. Come on, somebody. It's something about when you know how megas and how great your God is. The great trial seems little in comparison to God's great ability to get you out of that trial. And one of the ways you demonstrate the grace that is on your life is by being able to have joy in the midst of a great trial. Come on, anybody going through something right now? Come on, take a moment to act on that. Go ahead and, and just have joy. See, so many people are walking around and they're not happy. We're not talking about being happy right now. Being happy is based off of happenstance. It's based off of circumstance. But joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Folks, I have that all day, every day, regardless of what's going on in my life. I can choose. I can wake up, and I can say that the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm in a great trial right now, but that great trial is not in me. The joy of the Lord is in me, and it's going to give me strength. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And when you get up like that and you express that, how I many you know the grace of God shows up in every situation you encounter all day long. Do I have any witnesses in this place today? 
Come on, have you ever been there where you didn't know how you'd get out of the day, but you got out of the day because God's grace manifested in your life? It's an oxymoron. They're in a great trial of affliction, but they have an abundance of joy. Let me show it to you another way. Look at number three. Their deep poverty led to rich liberality. It's an oxymoron. Deep poverty and rich liberality don't go together unless you know God. Something about that when I'm down and I can still find the little that I have to think about someone that's in a worse situation than I'm in. Come on, somebody. And reach down to help them up. That God sent somebody in my life. Come on, somebody, to reach down and help me up. So even though they're in, again, it could have just said poverty. But it said deep poverty. It's kind of like the difference, I guess, between being poor and poor. <laughs> See, I grew up poor. Literally. I remember my mother wearing the pants and the shoes to work, working the afternoon shift, midnights, I'm sorry, come home in the morning, take the pants off and the shoes off. My brother put the same pants on and the same shoes and went to school. So y'all don't know nothing about that. See, I know what it's like to go to the refrigerator a hundred times, like something was just getting ready to show up that wasn't there the last time I went. Want some cereal so bad that I cut on the water faucet, put water in there to eat my cereal. I know you all don't know what I'm talking about. I know you've never had sardines before in your life. But to me, sardines tasted like salmon. Say, no, they don't taste like no salmon ever. But when you've never tasted salmon, Sardines taste like salmon. <laughs> so he said here, their deep poverty led, it led them to rich liberality. While I was studying this last night, the Lord rebuked me. And I got up out to go ask my wife if she remembered a scenario. And the Lord said to me, you always tell the people about the, the check that showed up on your front porch. You never talk about your response that led to that. And it wasn't because I didn't want to. I, I actually had just forgot. I just forgot about it. So when I go out of the prayer room to go ask her about it, she said, I do remember that. I, I forgot too. And so prior to that, two weeks before I was uh, removed from my position, the Lord had told me to give my car away to this family. And so I had taken it to the dealership and got it bumper to bumper, knew everything on it. While at the dealership, the dealership said, man, every time people come in here, they want this year and this model. We'll give you $13,000 for it right now. And so I left out of there because the Lord told me to give it. Then I took it and, and had it detailed, waxed, uh, leather seats clean, carpet shampoo from front to back, right? Now it's sitting there, ready to be given away, and, I, and I, I get fired on a Friday. The Lord told me to give this car away. 
So being a good husband that I am, I wanted my wife to see if she would bail me out. Because I just knew she was going to say, now is not the time to be giving that car away. So I go to her and I say, babe, you know, we don't have no income coming in. What should I do here? My wife, woman of strong faith and power, says to me, do what God told you to do. I'm like, I was, I was a little mad at her if you want to know. Y'all don't mind me being honest, do you? I'm a little mad at her. I'm like, she's like, do what God told you to do. And so I'm thinking to myself, now, wait a minute. If I give away that car, that means I don't have one. How am I going to get where I need to go? So I did it. Gave the car away. And then it was after that. How many? How long after that? Two weeks after that, that that check shows up on the front porch, and it's a whole year's salary. Which was enough to buy my own car, cash, be right back in the same situation with a whole lot of money left over. So what I want you all to see, when we were in a deep affliction, God needed something to work with. A lot of times, we're not thinking about other people when we're going through stuff. We're only thinking about ourselves, right? We're looking for who can help us. That's not the grace of God. The grace of God is looking for who it can help. So their deep poverty led to rich liberality. You'll notice most people say, I don't give because I don't have nothing to give. But you've been eating all week. You've been going to Bojangles. Right? Or you hear people, I don't make enough money to give. See, that, that's not being thankful. That's being ungrateful. Because everybody has something. Can I get two real good amens in here today? How many of y'all are glad you got out of the bed and came to this 11 o'clock service on the day? Okay. Let's keep going, okay? Watch this now. So their deep poverty led to rich liberality. Verse 4, or number 4, they willingly and freely gave beyond their ability. Two key words there are willingly and freely. Never give anything that you feel like someone is making you give. That's not a response of grace if I have to do it. It's a grace response when I freely and willingly want to do it. And they gave beyond their ability. So you've got to understand that there will be times and seasons in your life when you have great needs. And your response, this is an answer for somebody in this room. Your response is not what someone can do for me. but What can I do for someone else? And I need to do that beyond my natural ability. Thank you all for the enthusiasm. Uh, thank you all. It's on fire in this place today. I, I'm telling you, I was, my wife been up being a blessing for three weeks. I don't know if I've seen this level of energy and enthusiasm and passion in a long time. Somebody give God a good hallelujah, amen in this place. Huh? 
for all of us, folks, we will be challenged and it will be required. And it is a response to what we believe he's already provided. So I'm not losing anything. I'm actually gaining. Number five, they pleaded for the privilege to do so. Number six, they had a heart to partner in ministering to other saints. So it came from their hearts, and they begged for the privilege to be able, a partner to help other people. They gave of themselves first, then to the leadership, number seven, to do the will of God. So notice, this is how it always works, folks. God does not want your resources. God wants your heart. Because it's after he gets your heart that he can now have resources, right? And a lot of times, folks, we're thinking one way, money. I mean, when God has your heart, it'll also lead you to sow your time. See, there's something about that when I was sick and when I was in the hospital and people came and visited me, come on, somebody, and supported me and were a blessing to me, it's something about me that makes me want to respond to that and go see other people when I get well. Right? And so don't just limit yourself to financial resources, but you have talent, you have time, and you have treasure. So they gave their hearts first. They gave of themselves first, then to the leadership. Never, ever do stuff for people first. If you do what you do for me, it won't last. It has a ticking, it's on a timetable. And it will, the buzzer will go off if you do it for me. Because you're going to see I'm a man anointed by God to do this on Sunday mornings. I'm a human being Monday through Saturday. Which means the closer you get to me and the more you get around me, you're going to see, as a human being, I have strengths and I have weaknesses. No different if I get around you and come to your house, I'm going to see you. I didn't say sin. I said strengths and weaknesses. Right? And then you have a choice. Do you want to deal with him based off of his weaknesses or see yourself as God sent me to cover those weaknesses? Right? If I know God sent me there, then there's nothing's getting ready to move me off of that. Right? But if I do it for him, the moment he doesn't speak to me, ain't no love in this church. I could have just been something on my mind and I didn't see you. I just looked right through you. Just looked right over you. He didn't call me. He didn't come see me. I'm not God. Little stuff like that will cause people to act a fool. Which reveals their motives. So if you need me to do that for you to do something for God. See, so I won't play that game. Because the moment I jump through that loop, guess what they're getting ready to do? Put another loop up there. It's called manipulation. How many of y'all glad you came today? Isn't this good stuff right here? I'm glad to be back in the pulpit too. 
There's no other church I'd rather pastor in the world than Linked Up Church right here in Marietta, Georgia. And then number eight, Paul urged Titus to complete the grace that he had begun in them. And so Titus had already begun ministering to the church at Corinth. And he had already begun telling them about the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. And what Paul is urging uh, Titus to do is go back and to finish the grace that you started in them so that they look like the other churches in this area. So clearly then, this was important to Paul that this church walked in this grace also. Let's look at point number two today. Point number two, giving can be a charisma or a gift of the Spirit. Now, depending on how long you've been saved, how long you've been in church, you're gonna, this, this will challenge your theology. You're going to have to listen from your spirit, and you're going to have to listen by faith because this will challenge your theology. I just said giving can be a charisma, or as we learned in Bible school, a part of the charismata found in Romans chapter 8, or gifts or graces of the spirit. So giving can be a charisma or a gift of the spirit. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. I want to read out of the Amplified Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Let's look at this. Are you all there? Verse 7 says, but as you excel in everything. That word excel means to exceed, to increase, to be better, to go over, over and above. So this church is exceeding, they're increasing, they're better, and they go above, over and above, above and beyond and the Amplified says, and they lead the way in faith. Isn't that interesting? In speech or teaching, in knowledge, studying the word, in genuine concern, and in your love for us. But notice what he says. See that you excel in this grace of giving also. So notice the language there uses the phrase grace of giving in connection to faith and other graces. So then clearly then, if it's mentioned 10 times in two chapters, this must be something beyond just giving. This must be a grace of the spirit or a part of the charismata or charisma or graces that God gives to people. Now, scripturally, you cannot form doctrine unless you can find another witness saying the same thing within the same context in the same covenant or testament. So I can't take an Old Testament reference and confirm it over somewhere else and form doctrine out of it. If it's doctrine, it's going to have two or three witnesses in the same covenant. So if I make a statement like that to you, that giving is a part of the charismata, or it is a grace or part of the graces that God gives to the body of Christ, then I should be able to support that somewhere else in Scripture. Is that accurate? All right, before we travel there, let me share this with you. So the Corinthians already excel in the spiritual gifts of faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, and love. 
Now the apostle is urging them to excel also in the grace of giving. He wants them to be good stewards and to manifest to their community how good God has been to them. Folks, we've got a whole county to feed. We're going to start with a city. We've got to help a whole city. We've got to build a lot of houses and put hurting families in them that the world won't give a chance to. Folks, we've got to put furniture in houses of people that can't afford furniture. We've got widows, folks, that, 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 you know, husbands just, you know, for whatever reason, didn't prepare for life after his, his. We have a responsibility as a church to take care of them. We have to build senior citizens complex. Folks, we've got to buy at least a 20,000 square foot warehouse and just put washing machines and dryers in it, bedroom sets. Oh, Jesus. Bicycles, tricycles, cars. We got a lot of people to help. The more people we help, the more grace falls on this church. He's not giving us all this money in buildings so we can say, come look at our building. He's giving it to us to serve people because he wants to show the world how gracious he is. I just need five people to be halfway, I mean, just halfway act like you received what you're hearing in here today. Act like it. We got a lot of work to do. So Romans chapter 12, let's go look at that, and we'll close with this text. And let's see if we can confirm and form doctrine off of what we've said up to this point. I believe Linked Up Church is full of generous people. And it is an absolute joy to be able to give. It's a joy. Anybody going to lunch after service today? And just it's a little tight for you right now, but you wanted to go get you something to eat. It's just a little tight for you. Anybody want to go get you some lunch a little tight for you? Come here for a minute because you raised your hand quick. Stand up for a moment. Come on down here. You're going to get some lunch today. We're putting off. Now I'm going to give it. Now, now watch this. I'm going to give it to my wife to give to her. Go get you some lunch today, okay? I said it, it is a complete joy to be able to give and be a blessing to people. I said it is a complete joy to be able to give and to be a blessing to people. 
You know what makes it a complete joy is because somebody has given to you. Now, what you all don't even realize, everything that was in my pocket, the first service, I had already given it away. Before I could get out of the first service, it was already put back in my pocket. I don't even know what that was. You better count that. I don't even know what that was in my back pocket. I just grabbed it and stuck it in my back pocket. But guess what? I don't care either. Because the same God that gave it, he'll give it again. I said it is a complete joy to be able to give. Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read out of the Message Bible, and we're going to come on down to homestead. I see you back there, young Rue. Good to see you, boy. Love you, man. It's a real soldier back there in the back. He's out on the streets in Detroit trying to help people. He's a former youth in our youth department. It's a real soldier sitting back there. Willing to do what other people don't want to do because they don't want to get their hands dirty. Folks, linked up church, we got to get our hands dirty. All right, watch this now. Romans chapter 12. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me. You see how Paul started that, right? He said, I'm responding and I'm speaking to you from a deep gratitude of all that God has done for me. It's something about when you know all and you recognize all that God has done for you, that you respond with a deep gratitude and a deep appreciation and a willingness to help other people because God sent somebody in your life to help you. You did not get where you are by yourself. If you have an education, God graced you to get one. If you have a job, God graced you to, to have a job. If you live in a home or an apartment, God graced you to be in there. And there should be a deep appreciation, a deep gratitude for all that God has done for you. Come on, has God been good to anybody in this building? Paul is saying, I'm speaking to you out of a deep gratitude for all that God has given me. And especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then as every one of you does in pure grace. So everything that I have came by the grace of God. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. And we need to stop this attitude that we have. I serve, I tithe, I do this. Listen, all of that is nothing compared to what God has done for you. And your tithing, your serving, your giving is all a response to how good God has been to you. And somebody ought to shout glory in this place. See, what happened over the years, faith turned into legalism. And it put people on the sideline because faith taught us that if we do this, then God will do that, right? And when we did all of that and it didn't happen, people got mad at God. They stopped going to church. They stopped uh, serving. They stopped doing things. And they, they started telling people, I did all of that and God, nothing happened. 
Well, that's because nobody never told them it was never about you. Nobody ever told them that, that your giving was for the wrong reasons and the wrong motives. You were giving to get something from God instead of in a response to what God had already done for you. And there's a difference, folks. Come on, we are saved by grace, not by faith. And it is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Salvation is a response to the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You did not go to the cross. He did. And your response is receiving the salvation that was provided on that cross. People, this is not about what we do. It's about what he did. All we do is a response to what he did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Paul says, no, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Man, I can drop this Bible right now. I can just drop this iPad. See, because when you start measuring yourself by what you do, Pride kicks in. I built this. See, you almost seeing something about to, I'm about to fall right now. When you start, I, I built this. It's my kingdom. See, when you start seeing that, folks, better know that that leader is on his way down. When he believes he did it. No, God did it. Everything we have came from God. I couldn't have found that building on my best day. We hired the best brokers, best realtors. We had the best of everything, and nobody could find it. But God gave it to us. Come on, somebody. And I'm so glad about it. That's why I was so full yesterday. Actually, on last Thursday, they were putting new AC units on the roof, and they were taking them up. And it looked like they were coming out of heaven, being lowered down on the roof. Come on, just let me have my moment. That's how I saw it. I know it was a crane that lifted them up, but I saw them falling out of heaven, down onto the roof. Come on, somebody. I was so full yesterday after 30, about, roughly about 28 people, new members joined Linked Up Church on, on yesterday. I was so full that I drove over to the building with my clothes on and, and no spare shoes. And so when I get to the thing, he said, you might not want to come in here today. Uh, it's a little too dusty in here. I said, man, you don't understand. I'll roll on this floor and make a dust angel. I'm so grateful for all that God has done for us. Come on, somebody. Everything that we have and everything that you have came from God. I said everything that we have and everything that you have came from God. And you ought to take about 10 seconds right now to give God glory and thank him for how good he's been to you. Come on, you can do better than that. I said you, you ought to take about 10 seconds right now to thank God for how good he has been to you. A lot of times you don't realize how good he's been until you see how bad it is for somebody else. Verse 5, you can be seated. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets meaning, gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. 
The body we're talking about is Christ's body, our chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and our function as part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously and pridefully comparing ourselves with other people or trying to be something that we aren't. Then he lists graces. So he said, if you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. Come on, if you help, just help. Don't take over. That's a message right there all by itself. Come on, somebody. See, that's a whole lot of people. You'd be surprised. If they can't take it over, they don't want to help. And they help up to the point that they can control. But that word help denotes that you're coming alongside somebody else. Not taking it over. Should always stay subservient in that role. Right? Until God gives you your own. And then he'll send people to come alongside you. Good stuff, isn't it? So if you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. See, just give guidance. Don't tell people how to live their lives. Come on, even if you're raising teenagers today, don't tell them how to live their lives. Just give guidance. Young fella picked my daughter up the other night for prom. He picked her up in a Maserati truck. I couldn't help but say, boy, that's a long way from when I went to prom. I had to call my auntie and ask if I could borrow her Thunderbird. That was about 10 years old. But it was better than walking to the prom. Come on, somebody. Boy, and I got in that Thunderbird, and I leaned to the side. Come on, somebody. You couldn't tell me it wasn't a Maserati truck back then. But that, that, that was interesting to me. I said, times, we've come a long way. But how many know that's an act of God's grace on my children? And I'm thankful for it. You know I ask the tough questions. Did he treat you all right? You know what I'm asking. She said, yeah, Dad. I said, all right, because I might not have been up on this platform today. You might have... Saw me on the news Friday night. (laughs) Local pastor, father, chasing this Maserati down 85. Slams into the back of it. Runs it off the road. Notice what it says here. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. Oh. Look at this next phrase. If you're called to give, so he called giving a calling. Or a grace that would confirm what 2 Corinthians chapter 8 just taught us. 
that it is a part of the charismata. So that means if you're saved, you're called to give. All right, I'm going to close here for the day. We'll pick up with the rest of the points next week. Let me explain it to you this way even better. All right. So we know that Corinthians also tells us that we are all ministers of Christ, right? We are called to reconcile. We're ministers of reconciliation. We're called to reconcile the world back to Christ. And all of us should be about that, right? But then we also know that there is the charismata or the office call of evangelist. So even though the whole body is called to win the loss, the evangelist has a special call to do it. Everybody see that? Giving is the same way. The whole body is called to give. Now, if you think about the church at large, I think the national average is about 4% of the church tithes. That's not saying much about what we believe, is it? I believe now they linked up church, what would you say, 12%, 11%? We're in double figures here at Linked Up Church. That's, that's more than triple the national average. So we're going there. But, but guess what God wants? He wants, watch this. Now remember the third thing that we're going to see here. He wants the unity of the spirit. Right? Because when you get the unity of the spirit, he drops more grace. Right? And it comes on the entire group so that none of them lack anything. Amen. I need a little faith in here today. Amen. All right? So let's explain giving this way. So clear, clearly this is a charismata, right? This is a grace. So everyone is called to give. But there are some people like myself, I believe I am, that has the charismata or the grace to give, which means God supernaturally trusts them with with, with a lot because he can get it through them to be a blessing to a lot of people. So there are some people that God raises up to just fund the gospel. It's about 20 of them in here. I'm sorry, that was too low. It's about 200 of them in here. That was too low. It's about 300 of them in here that God just gives millions of dollars to because he can trust them. Is that you? Is that you? Is that you, Jeff? Is that you, Gerald, back there? Is that you, big fella? Come on, somebody. Maybe, I know that's you. I know that's the bells. God has ordained them to grow, to accumulate. I know the walkers walk in it. The Newsom's loaded. Kyle getting ready to have all kind of franchises. Boy, you ought to, you should have said amen right there. Come on, you should have, boy, you should have said something right there. Maria, oh my God. He can trust her. You get it? So when a person gives nothing, their attitude is, I've received nothing. It's ungrateful. You all get anything out of this today? I mean, you still glad you came to church today? 
That's only two points. We've got eight more to go. Let's lift our hands to the Father. Stay in your seats. Just lift your hand in the Father, to the Father. I want to pray over you right now. Father, this was introduced to their spirits today. Father, help their spirits illuminate their minds and bring even a higher level of understanding. And Father, we know that when we know better, then we can do better. And so at first, where there's a willing heart, Father, and a faithful spirit, may they also be a readiness to perform. And so my prayer today is that this group will not be forgetful hearers of your word, but they'll be faithful doers. And Father, as a result of their doing, they'll be blessed with everything that they put their hands to in Jesus' name. And so now, Father, while they're in this attitude of prayer today, if you're in this building, I'm getting ready to present to you the best opportunity ever known to man. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, come on today and be a part of the family of God. Don't put off to tomorrow what God is convicting you about today. God loves you. Come on, be a part of his family today by receiving Jesus as the Lord of your life. Secondarily, you might say, Pastor, I'm already saved, but I allowed myself to get to.